0: You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. On this episode, we're digging into how we can transform our health by transforming our environment and our mindset. We're going to be looking at the latest science around ultra processed foods and how they're impacting things like our microbiome, the documented collateral damage caused by pharmaceutical companies that we need to be mindful of today more than ever. Also, we're gonna look at two critical mindset shifts to transform your health and success. The greatest health issue facing our world today, we're gonna dive into that and so much more. This was from a powerhouse interview that I did recently on the popular Fitness CEO show hosted by Bryce Henson. This amazing show is from the creators and managers of Fit Body Boot Camp. And they now have around 800 locations, which is crazy because it was started by my really good friend, Bedros Koulian, which prior to launching the first Fit Body Boot Camp, he was actually living in his car and working as a personal trainer, just trying to figure things out, trying to help people. And he's got an incredible story. We've had Bedros on the show a couple of times and he's one of my, truly one of my great friends in this world, in this lifetime, very, very grateful for him. And this fitness CEO podcast is one of the many shows that he's helped to create. And I'm very, very excited to share this with you. Now, before we get into this powerful conversation, I wanna tell you about my favorite pre-workout right now. And I'm telling you, I've experimented with many, many things over the years. I've been in this field for about 21 years now. And this is one of the few things that you notice a difference day one and this is for most people we're all different we're all unique but most people notice a difference in their energy on day one now obviously our training requires energy and to get the very best results we need to put our very best into our training and with that being said numerous studies including a study published by the federation of american societies for experimental biology aka the FASEB journal have found that exogenous ketones can be up to 28% more efficient in generating energy than glucose alone. Plus, studies have found up to a 15% increased mean power output after recovery when utilizing ketones. Now ketones have been utilized in the domain of fitness for the past few years at a high level, but ketone esters have been what folks have been utilizing. And number one, they taste nasty, all right, nasty. But for some people, it's just like, you gotta pay to play. So that's one barrier of entry, plus just the digestibility, the efficiency. It isn't something that's effective for the vast majority of people. Cut to the most recent innovation and what has been brought to the world of fitness and cognitive performance and just overall human health by HVMN and their product, Ketone IQ. Number one, it tastes a hell of a lot better than the ketone esters. Not to say that it's delicious, but this is definitely way more palatable. And the energy that we experience is in a league of its own. I've been handing out ketone IQ to so many of my friends that come by. And one of my friends actually, I just put it in his hands and he went for a hike the next day and he reported back to me. And I didn't ask him to, but he reported back to me that on this hike that it usually does, he noticed that he just had more in the tank. He felt like, He had more energy available. He didn't feel that energy dip towards the end of that hike that he normally does. He just felt like he can keep going. And this is what a lot of people report when they utilize Ketone IQ. Go to hvmn.com forward slash model right now. And they're going to give you 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ. Again, go to hvmn.com forward slash model for 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ. Now let's get to the Apple Podcast review of the week. Another five-star review titled, Pregnancy Episode Request by TCO0805. Long-term listener, nine years. Your show has been extremely valuable and life-changing, and I'm so grateful. I am now pregnant with my first, and would love if you could do an episode on pregnancy for us women
1: and our partners to learn during such an important part of our lives.
0: Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that over on Apple Podcast. Thank you so much for making me a part of your life. We're almost a decade together as family, and congratulations on your growing family as well. And we've actually addressed so many facets of this wonderful miracle of life on different episodes of the show. One of them actually was, the special guest was my wife, Ann Stevenson. And so we'll drop that into the show notes for you. But also, of course, we're gonna do much, much more coming up here because this is one of those things that we don't often get a lot of education around. You know, there are a couple of seminal works out there as far as pregnancy-related books, but we live in an entirely different environment right now. The terrain is very, very different, very different things to navigate to create healthy humans. And a lot of folks are struggling right now, just in the domain of fertility and childbirth and all those things, it's been on the rise. And so you need to definitely share more real world, science-backed education around the subject matter. And you just gave me another inspiration to do that coming up here this year. So again, thank you so much for leaving that review over on Apple Podcast. And without further ado, let's get into this powerful conversation that I had on the Fitness CEO Show.
1: So I am so pumped to have you. Lots to cover uh, just from your wealth of knowledge, from a health, fitness perspective. Before we dive into some other questions I have, when you look back at that story, what's your biggest one or two takeaway like that our audience
0: can latch on to? Mm. I'd say number one, um, it, it's, it's the power of taking responsibility. You know, it's so easy to blame, to finger point, and we have, absolutely, our stories are valid. The things we've gone through are valid. Mm-hmm. You know, we go through some pretty messed up situations as human beings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my story is one of those, you know, I I grew up in poverty. But I even say that with hes- hesitation because in the United States, poverty can still mean, you know, you got a TV. You know, we did get food from charities, you know, food stamps, WIC program. My mother worked overnight at a convenience store, ended up uh, attempted robbery. She was stabbed multiple times. Oh, you know, um, you know. It's just again a very volatile environment that I grew up in. Yeah, a lot yeah. of violence. You know, going outside to play. Honestly, I mean, there's a risk. It wasn't a big risk, but there's a risk that I could be shot. You know, a drive-by shooting. There's multiple shootings at the neighborhood basketball court that we play ba- ball at during the year. But it's like it didn't. It wasn't a regular thing, mm-hmm. but it, it happened. And there's a part of your brain that's always on alert, mm-hmm. right? and so people hear that and it's just like oh you know there is a certain way of thinking of it to like poor you but what people don't understand is the power that comes from an environment like that as well because there is such a highly evolved sense of creativity to survive and to make something out of nothing there's this very powerful spirit of connection Like the people that you're around, you're kind of like in, you're in war together. Oh yeah, You know, it's like a bonding. And there's just like a deep sense of like people having your back. And there's also this very powerful sense of overcoming, you know, that was just like, this is muscle built. Like we're going to, we're going to make it, you know? Now here's the thing, it's like, where is that creativity pointed? Where is that we're going to make it pointed? Is it pointed towards just getting by? or is it pointing towards something bigger? Is the creativity pointed towards just getting a meal on the table, or is it pointing towards transforming the health of our family, right? Because those muscles were getting built, it's just I didn't know where to direct it. And so me taking responsibility, it, it eliminated this possibility of like offloading or placing the, the, the responsibility on someone else to, to change my life for me. And unfortunately, we do that. We do it automatically, we don't realize it. We so do. that's number one. It's, listen, even as I'm saying this, you might think that you're taking responsibility, but it's like, I'm talking 100% responsibility. No wiggle room, no like just little outs. And you gotta catch yourself because it's a daily practice as well. You're going to blame, you're going to point fingers. The, the faster you can point it back to yourself, the faster you can take responsibility for your part in it. Mm -hmm. Not to say that again, you're putting yourself in quote bad situations because things happen that are oftentimes unexplainable, but pointing it back to how am I going to respond now? What am I gonna do now? The thing happened, what am I gonna do now, right? So that'd be number one. Um, Number two is just again, it kind of goes hand in hand with that, which is it's not about resources, it's about resourcefulness, right? When I transformed my health and eventually, man, it's crazy to even sit here with you and talk about this. Like I've, I've impacted the lives of millions of people. You know, I'm when I'm from Ferguson, Missouri. I'm from St. Louis. Like, I grew. I'm not supposed to be here. And for me, when this all changed, I didn't. I was making. I more than once. But there's there's been times where I was like I'm either going to buy these groceries at Whole Foods and I'm like at the counter like hoping this card goes through or I'm going to pay my light bill. Like I'm I'm literally taking a risk here. And so I I I was in that kind of situation where I didn't even have money to make it to the end of the month. There was a lot more month at the end of the money, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But by investing in myself and feeling better, suddenly I started to become much more adept at problem solving and and procuring the money that I needed to get my life structures taken care of, right? The, my energy changed, you know, my ability to, you know, see different possibilities. Whereas again, I was kind of linear before, you know? So that creativity was starting to get activated oh in yeah. a sense. And so my ability to be resourceful with the lack of, you know, again, I didn't have any health food stores around me. There was no yoga studios. I didn't know meditation existed. I didn't know what organic food was. Like all this stuff was foreign to me, Mm -hmm. but my ability to be resourceful and another one of those pieces I mentioned earlier, it was a friend and relationships and the power of ROR, right? We know about ROI. What's ROR? Return on relationships. I would have never told, because I come from where I come from, I inherently developed a strong sense of self and selfishness because I had to survive. And it made me very reluctant to trust and to be in relationships outside of my tribe, outside of my my family, Oh yeah, right? So it was a lot of like lone wolf type energy, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and if I'm gonna make it, it's all on me, it's not. Yes, again, this is, don't mistake it from the taking responsibility part, but being successful is gonna be with and through other people, and so, I would not have known this man if you would have asked me even 10 years ago, like, what would be my greatest gift or success or my greatest asset? You know, I would say something along the lines of like, you know, maybe a financial thing to accomplish or like some kind of like career thing. No, my relationships by far, it is it's not even close. It's in a different universe, is the most valuable thing in in my reality by far. And that ability to, to, to work on those things, like I come from a situation where I didn't see what healthy relationships really look like, Even my family, that we all love each other and we got each other's back and we mm-hmm. have this kind of sense of certainty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We, we'll fuck each other up, though, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of fighting, a lot of violence, and I didn't really see what a healthy functional relationship looked like. you know I see you know a lot of dysfunction. And so but this is not just unique to me. many people have experienced that in relationships and what they saw as examples. So wouldn't it be, if I'm telling you it's the most valuable thing, wouldn't it be valuable for you to make it a study? Like to learn about relationships and healthy relationships and becoming the type of person that can manage a healthy relationship, that can actually receive the love that is given from somebody. Because I had a wall up, right? Not only that, but to be able to contribute and find a way to be of value To the lives of other people so that they want you in relationships. And so that would be my other thing would be, you know, it's not about resources, it's about resourcefulness and flipping the switch in your mind. Like that whole there's a will, there's a way. I'm telling you, when there's a will, there's 10,000 ways. There are so many different possibilities, but it's the ability to think externally of your circumstances. You know, it goes back to that Einstein quote for me, you know. We can't solve a problem at the same level that created the problem, the same level of thinking that created the problem. And that's the problem so many times is that we we, we start beating a problem down with our same train of thought that created the fucking problem, instead of like stepping back and, and seeing all the different creative ways that you can get from here to there, right? And uh, part of that though is like feeling empowered, being healthier makes it easier, right? And you know that it's oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. it's hard. It is. It's not that you can't find a way when you're not well. It's just <sighs> harder. Oh yeah, right. And so those would be those would be my my two things. Oh, Sean, man, we are just kindred spirits. I mean,
1: you know, from your story, your background, the inspiration. Um, here at Fit Body, which is the franchise oversee, we talk about first and foremost, we're not in the fitness industry. Yes, we do this, but we're in the people industry. We're in the people business. We're in the relationship business. In fact, two of our core values here at our organization is to have whatever-takes mentality, so using that resourcefulness you just talked about, yeah. and taking extreme ownership. Not taking ownership, taking extreme ownership. Yeah. Um, so you're speaking my language, my friend. Powerful. So um, I wanna go high level here and then we'll kind of will it down. Um, But um, you are a health expert, you're a sleep expert, you're a nutritionist, nutrition expert. Um, What would you say in your viewpoint are the big problems facing the health of our country right now? And there's many, uh, but we'd love to unpack that from your lens.
0: You know, when, when addressing any problem, I think it's always valuable to know what you're actually dealing with, right? A lot of times we're fighting with things we don't even understand. We don't even know what the situation really is. So yeah, we can look around and see that we have some issues as a society, as far as our health, but let's get very specific. I'm just gonna rattle off a few factual places that we are right now, Mm -hmm. a few statistics. So the CDC's most recent numbers from last year have denoted that today, 60% of American adults have at least one chronic disease. All right, so the majority of our citizens today have at least one chronic disease. 40% have two or more, Ooh. all right? So automa- now immediately, if you don't have a chronic disease, you're not normal. Do you, do you understand where we're going with this? This is wild. Okay? So that's number one. Uh, within that, within that context, about 60% of American adults have some degree of heart disease. We've got about 130 million Americans that have type two diabetes or pre-diabetes, We've got about 115 million Americans that have regular sleep issues and sleep dysfunction. And we've got, right now, this is crazy, I'm about to say this. When the new numbers come out, which they haven't been published yet, it's going to be even scarier because they haven't been published post-COVID yet. But prior to the pandemic and pandemic-related shutdowns Mm -hmm. and changes, Mm -hmm. we had about a 42% obesity rate. Mm-hmm. In our society, 42%. forty-two percent, and it was on track by twenty thirty to be at fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, not to mention we're talking about clinical obesity. All right, we're not talking about the overweight overweight component as well, because if we bring those together, we're looking at it's knocking on the door. About eighty percent of American citizens are either overweight or obese, and because of the because of the launching pad for even more disease and dysfunction over all these shutdowns and changes and something called recidivism, basically gaining weight, especially for kids. Like, matter of fact, let me just share this with you, with, with kids, because the yeah, CDC yeah. did publish this. And this was uh, a study looking at kids during the pandemic, and they found that moderately obese children, their annual weight of, their annual rate of weight gain doubled over the course of the initial year of pandemic shutdowns. Now again, that might be like, oh, that's a temporary thing. But recidivism is like once we reach a state, it's kind of like a thermostat. It's like getting your body at that set point where it's more difficult. And anybody that struggled with their weight as a kid knows mm-hmm. how difficult it is to to change when you're an adult. Even as adults, once yeah. you hit a certain like you you put on weight, it's it becomes harder and harder to change that set point. And so you know we're we're def, we're going to hit that number of fifty percent before we get to 2030, oh, yeah. which is just around the corner. Oh, yeah. It's like six years away. And so these are just some, I can go on and on. We could just do the whole episode on the f- up statistics, yeah. but here's here's the thing. We have power to change this. Oh, yes. We absolutely do. Amen. But we have to understand that we also have a 4.2 trillion, trillion, like we can't even fathom how much money that is. Healthcare system. So that's how much money is invested into our healthcare system annually at this point. We are the sickest society in the history of humanity, all right, chronic disease, specifically, all right. We're talking about largely socially, societally, structurally, culturally induced chronic diseases. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about infectious disease, which is funny that that's even gone up, all right. We don't really think, like we thought we had that figured out, but Mm -hmm. no, it's not the case. And so with this being said, this is a situation that we're dealing with with that healthcare model that we have, it's profiting off of sickness. And there are, again, tri- trillions of dollars. Our healthcare system and the amount that's invested, like, this is knocking on the door about 20% of our gross domestic product. Like, it's a big part of our economy. If you want to bet on something, a safe bet in our society today, bet on sickness. That's how fucked up it is. All right. Now, with that said, What are we going to do about it? Yeah. What are the solutions here? So knowing that this is the state that we're in, and I started it off, I was pointing to where we're going to go, which is if you're healthy today, you're not normal. You're abnormal. How do we change so that health is normalized? And what it has to do with is culture for years and I know you've done this I've done this we point people towards behavior change mm-hmm. because it's powerful mm-hmm. you know changing a behavior changing a habit can change someone's life totally now the other side of that unfortunately is that pointing someone towards a habit change in an environment that is reaffirming a poor habit is almost like using a drug to treat a symptom right it can mask a symptom But if you're not addressing the root cause, Mm -hmm. the behavior can come roaring back or the symptom can come roaring back or manifest in a different way, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? And so at its core, and really what this new project is about is because I finally did something that, and again, the, the data was crazy. I couldn't believe that nobody was talking about this. Social science and how our relationships, how our environment, how our culture is the key controller of our choices. Because as we sit here, we think, that we're making the choice on what we're eating, right? And now we do have more options. Mm -hmm. You and I, Mm -hmm. we're aware of all the different options. But just for example, uh, a culture in Maui, Mm -hmm. right? They eat certain things because it's a part of the culture. A culture in Nairobi, they eat certain things because it's a part of the culture. A culture in Hong Kong, they Mm -hmm. eat certain things. A culture in London, they Mm -hmm. eat certain things historically because that's what's in the environment. We eat. We make choices based off of our culture. Our culture is like an invisible guidance system. It's like an invisible hand that's directing us towards choices and blinding us to other choices. All right, And to, to give an example of that, if we have a hunter-gatherer tribe, which we evolved from, but there are still a couple left on, on yeah, earth yeah. today. Yeah, yeah. But because of their culture, they are blocked from the awareness that Krispy creams are a thing right, that they can just go to 7-Eleven and throw a spear through a hot dog, you know what I mean, rather than, right? So it's like their their culture blocks them from the awareness that that's a thing. Now, not to say that you know modern civilization folks are not dropping in and giving some T-shirts and some Twinkies and shit like that. I'm not saying, don't make this a black and white thing, but truly a, a hunter-gatherer growing, living in their environment, they're blocked from the awareness that Ultra processed foods are something that humans eat. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in their culture, it's imbued into the culture that if you don't move, you die. Movement is required in order to procure your food. Right. So, movement is tied to life or death. In our culture, movement is optional, optional as fuck. Yeah. right. Especially today. <laughs> At best, so, man. Holy smokes. And, and, and it's, it's again, it's like, allowing for a place where like yeah this is great we've got technology we've got DoorDash we've got you know all these innovations but a lot of our innovations as humans in recent history have taken away activity they've reduced over and over and over again our need for movement and so what happens is if we're not supplementing or fortifying that somewhere else this is where the whole fitness movement came from is because we're doing so much less just to survive and so we try to simulate it here, doing this other thing. This is where we start to get into this strange paradox that we're experiencing today, which is we are the most advanced society. You know, I know some people are like, arguably, but to, <laughs> you know, to, to, to grace this planet. Yeah. And at the same time, ironically, we're the sickest society at Dude, the same time. Mind blows. It does it, it's a it's a paradox. Yeah. And some people will be like, well, and I, because I, this is what I believed. Well, we're living longer now, right? I've got some news for you. Um, just in about the last 20 years, that has reversed. Really? Previously, every generation was outliving their predecessors. Totally. We're the first generation that's not going to outlive our predecessors. This advance in our in our lifespan has now reversed and it's going backwards, All right, And a lot of people aren't aware of that yet. And also you gotta take into consideration when things were advancing, the main thing that was taking us out was infectious disease and issues in childbirth, which was pushing down that average uh, lifespan, oh, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so things more so related to infectious diseases. Today, the main thing's killing us. The number one killer today is heart disease, by far. Heart disease, all manner of cancers. And just one of them, by the way, endometrial cancer. Um, there's a seven times higher incidence, seven, not two times, not three, seven times higher incidence of someone developing endometrial cancer if they're obese. I'm not familiar. What is that? This a Cancer of the uterus, right? And so, you know, again, if we start looking at what are the conditions that are creating these epidemics, multiple epidemics of chronic diseases, diabetes has just skyrocketed mm-hmm. in recent years. Mm-hmm. There's a paper published in the New, New England Journal of Medicine, one of our most prestigious journals. And the title of the paper was effectively uh, 200 Years of Diabetes. And they looked back over, you know, the last couple of hundred years and, and looking at the diabetes um, prevalence. And only in the last 40 years, it's just in the last 40 years, diabetes has almost quadrupled in our society. All right, type 2 diabetes we're, we're talking about wild, specifically. Sean. That is wild. And so- Let's just hit right now one portion of the solution we can go deeper. Understanding that your culture is controlling your choices. Your culture is controlling your awareness. Your culture is determining largely your health outcomes as a result. This is why, again, being in a certain society where I come from, every single one of my family members had at least one chronic disease, everyone, including my, myself, my brother, and my sister. My brother, my little brother, he's hospitalized with asthma multiple times a year. Really? Terrible asthma. My sister, terrible eczema. Myself, arthritis as a kid. Like my bones and my spine are breaking down. Not to mention asthma, hospitalized, have my, have my inhalers you know, as I well. Know you know, My mother, obesity, diabetes, eventually cancer. My stepfather, just again, on and on. My, losing so many family members, right? It's just normalized in my environment but guess what? I broke out of that. I broke that pattern. And how I did it was I changed the culture. I made it so that healthy options were easily accessible because when I made the decision to get well, they were not easily accessible. But I didn't let that story stop me. I started making it easier to access things that fortify my health. And that had to do with the people that I was around. Funny enough, when I started to feel better, I started to change my relationships. And it wasn't conscious. It's just like, this is a mismatch, energetically, like, mm-hmm. you know. Like frequency, frequency, vibration, right? And that's a real thing. Like, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. you, don't even get me started. Oh, you yeah. know, like for, for years I've been contributing to a place called HeartMath Institute. And so we can read, you know, um, fields that are broadcast from the human heart, the brain. And we know this, like even the electrical output of the human heart, we see that on heart monitor. You know, you the see the it on G. a movie, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um but there's a field, there's an energy field that's emitted from the human heart. It's called a tube torus, and it's multiple feet from your body. And these fields literally, because we're kind of I'm not gonna say we're ignorant, but the way that we're designed as a human, we certain see a certain spectrum of light. Other animals see different spectrums of light, right? And so because we see a certain way, we we don't understand that there's a lot more to this story, you know, and now we have these new fields emerging. Well, recently um, really becoming popularized of like quantum mechanics and and, and things of the like. But, you know, it's ve- there's so much about our reality that we don't understand. But we act like we know. That's the problem. And so, yeah, so even that energy exchange, and I'll just share a study real quick. There were some researchers at uh, Yale who put two people, I mean, they were strangers, but they allowed them to create rapport, you know, maybe like five, 10 minutes of small talk. And they were, had them strapped to um, brain monitors mm-hmm. so they could see their brain waves and their frequencies. And they found that even within 10 minutes, their brain started to sync up the way that their brain frequencies and patterns of brain waves, right? So shifting, you know, beta and delta and all this stuff. Basically, their brains start to match, all right? And this is what we do, but it's unseen. We sync up with other people. We have to do that out of survival. We see that in the animal kingdom, mm-hmm. like how the fuck do those birds know how to fly like that? Yeah, you know, like in this sequences, like, yeah. It's not like Charlie, you take the lead. <laughs> they just know they how just, to just go, sync up. Yeah, you know, bees and like the list goes on and on. We do that too, and so the people around me, also moving from okay, I've got this one kind of high leverage thing. Like you always can find a high leverage spot right? It's like Archimedes, right? Having that lever, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was the university gym. That was my highest leverage. And I used the shit out of it, right? Because again, in my environment, it was just a 15 minute drive to get to the university, by the way. But in my environment, there were no gyms. There's a safety concern with running in the neighborhood, you know, but this university gym, I'm about to leverage this. I didn't know that I was doing it though, but I was leaning into this is an environment that can fortify the results that I'm looking for, right? And also the the food complex. So suddenly, ironically, all these years there's a right outside of Ferguson. Well, uh, there's like a good, there's a good part of Ferguson, right? It's a, like that with a lot of neighborhoods, right? <laughs> just like right? anywhere, yeah. But there's a farmers market that's been going on forever, for years and years and years. I just wasn't in tune to it. I didn't know that it existed. But now that I'm focused on this, now. Farmer's market is just like five minutes from my house. Um, And now, not only am I going to the farmer's market every week, saving money, meeting the farmers, right? The people actually growing my food, I'm getting like that much closer to my food. I'm taking my family with me my family even now like they know it's a deep memory for them of like us going to these farmers markets because it was a new adventure for all of us mm-hmm. you know get the kids like there's little they might make little stuff there you know like little treats or whatever and we're getting these foods and they're talking to the farmers and you know it's just like it was such it was a family culture shift by us doing these things together right and so the mission now for everybody is to understand that you have agency, coupled with, and by the way, I got, I'm just gonna make this caveat. A lot of our struggle, and you know this too, is like trying to get other people to change. And the truth is we can't change anybody. It's always an internal job. It's a choice within the person. We can force people to do things. Even mm-hmm. with our kids, we could force them to do things. But what, once we are able to give them a blueprint internally, right? A culture that they imbibe. And by the way, just to define culture, this is the attitudes, beliefs, values, and behaviors held by a certain group of people passed on from one generation to the next. That's what a culture is, all right? So we are inherently creating a culture for our children. A lot of times we're just doing the that we were taught about culture, Mm -hmm. but we can intelligently consciously choose the culture we're creating in our own household so that our children have the internal blueprint or the internal culture. Today, I went outside to work out with my wife. I went outside, there was a random folding chair sitting in my driveway, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I thought it was my older son, which he's a trainer, all right, and I'm just he's, like, oh, he's out here doing. He's probably shooting a video or something. He's probably in his early twenties. He's 22. And I, you know, I started training with my wife, and here comes my older son and my youngest son, 22 and 11, walking down the street. They were training together. I didn't tell them to do that. It's just baked into our culture. culture. All right, and it's just like, man, I was overflowing with so much joy in that moment. Like I'm out here with my wife. Like, what is this? Is amazing. This is this is real. You know, and everybody is because the, the the trick with the two of them, by the way, because there's you have different personalities in the family, right, is leveraging finding the love and the value that each person would have for the thing, that, that connective tissue, right? So caveat, we can't make force people to change, but what we can do is take more control of our own culture within our household, and that's what the mission is. Because rather than me trying to, because that was my story before, my kids are gonna be out here in this world that is against them in a sense, as far as their health. It's just feeding them constantly all these disempowering messages and unhealthy the things. culture. Yeah. yeah, that's the culture yeah. that we're existing yeah, in. Yeah. But we can create a microculture. culture. And now the coolest thing, and then I realized when I went on a trip recently, you know, I, I, we, we left stateside, I realized something so remarkable, all in the midst of this new project, the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook. When we go to another culture, we take our culture with us. We take our culture with us. So even when I went to this place, other people, other families, mm-hmm. other people who make decisions were coming up to us and asking about our family and what, what, what we're doing. To act the way that we act, to look the way that we do, mm-hmm. to exude the energy that we have. You take your culture with you. And so that's how we change our society. That's how we change our community. You start with you. You start with the culture in your household. And that's what this new project is all about, the blueprint on how to do that. And from there, you become the model. You become an example. When people see you, they see what's possible. That's the one thing that I didn't have that would have made everything exponentially easier. you know. But I had to create it myself. And eventually, I find out all over the world there are all there's these other people that are experiencing the same thing, having these revelations that I'm having. You know, my really good friend Bedros, man, I, I give thanks for Bedros all the time. Dude, he's such a great dude, man. You know, and just like being able to align and to unify it's just like an attractor. You know, we just became like magnets mm-hmm. for other people in in our guild. You know, and it's just like it's so exciting as it's exciting as it's time to be alive. But at the same time we need to know what to do. We need to know actually, how do we go about shifting the culture in my household? But culture is the key, changing the culture, taking control of your own environment, controlling the controllable. My man, Sean, all right, my friend. Well, the last part of the
1: conversation, I wanna kind of tee up the new book launch. And you've talked a little bit about in the conversation, the concept, but um, Eat Smarter, the cookbook just got released. So can you unpack that for us? Just give us some high level what uh, our audience can expect to
0: take away and some value there. Absolutely. So earlier we mentioned how we evolved with community around food and how that is essentially becoming on the endangered species list, eating together with friends and family. Uh, According to researchers at Harvard, only about 30% of American families eat together on a regular basis. And we're we're devolving, We're, we're moving away from a thing that has this protective capacity that again, I was shocked to find. I'll just share a couple of these statistics with you. So a different set of researchers at Harvard University was tracking family eating behavior for years. When I found this research, which I've got several colleagues at Harvard, I was shocked. Like, I'm like, why isn't this everywhere talked about all the time? And what these researchers uncovered was that families that ate together on a regular basis had far less chronic diseases. Hmm. In particular, they found that they had a much higher intake of essential nutrients that help, again, the immune system, that help the body to reduce the risk of chronic diseases and significantly less intake of processed foods, ultra-processed foods, chips and sodas and things like that. Not to, again, not to, not to vilify those things, but it's a smaller part of the overall intake. Now you couple that with a really fascinating study that was done looking at minority children. And what they found was that eating together with their family for four meals a week dramatically decreased their, again, incidence of r- risk for chronic disease and infectious disease as well, by the way. Those can go hand in hand. But what they found was, again, and I'm just going to give the specific numbers here, they found that the children who were eating with their families four times a week they ate five servings of fruits and vegetables almost every day 5 days out of the week all right and when the television was rarely on or not on at all even lower intake of processed foods and soda all right that was already diminished regardless of the TV but mm-hmm. when it's not on much less much less yeah yeah couple that with there's two studies combined published in the journal of pediatrics and the journal of the american medical association and this is the homework for everybody all right this is the one right here so what the researchers found was that eating together, this is specifically the benefits for children. This is huge for our kids. Children who ate together with their families just three times a week, and this can be any meal by the way, mm-hmm. three times a week, had significantly lower incidence of obesity, lower incidence of disordered eating, and lower risk of overall chronic diseases and infections. What? Three, just eating with your family three times a week. Holy smokes. Okay, and now, What about us as adults? I shared another study in the East Martyr Family Cookbook looking at uh, employees of IBM. And basically what they found was that there was this dramatic protection against abnormal stress for parents if they're able to get home and eat dinner with their families. And the more that work was inching into their ability to eat dinner with their families, the more their uh, unhappiness at work took over and, and abnormal amounts of stress. And why does this matter? Well, another study that was published in JAMA, Journal of the American Medical Association, the researchers did a meta-analysis and they found that upwards of 80% of physician visits today are for stress-related diseases. 80%? Upwards of 80%, so it was 60 to 80%. Yeah. And so stress is a huge component because your thoughts create chemistry in your body. It's a very powerful pharmacy and altering your system, whether it's hormones, neurotransmitters, cell function, the function of your mitochondria can shift instantaneously Based on your perception of stress, all right, it's power. Like that's a whole other conversation for another day, but it's intertwined into the into the book. So, with yes. that said, three meals a week. This could be family dinner on Tuesday and Thursday, and brunch on Sunday. You know, right? And so, for me, I'm a why person. Like, I want to know why. Like, why? How does that work? And so, one of the obvious reasons it works is that by you having that planned. By the way, you need to schedule it. All right. We got stuff on our schedule that matters far less than our family. For us in our busy lives, a lot of times, if you don't schedule it, it's not real. It's it's fleeting. It's a maybe. Schedule it. When you do that, and you know that family dinner is on Tuesday, it immediately invokes the brain, even your subconscious, to plan, right? What are we gonna eat? Like it just it, it creates more of a spirit of planning and purpose instantaneously because we know that the thing is in front of us. Use that to your advantage, schedule it. And that's part of like, so what are we eating? Even if it's a shared meal, like a DoorDash or you pick up something, once it becomes ingrained in your culture and it is a day where everything just kind of goes off the rails and you've got to order something or pick something up, we still sit down and eat together, right? So again, it's creating a, a new family culture of eating meals together more frequently, it's protective for your children. Another reason why is that there is like some powerful psychology that's in the mist at a dinner table, okay? A dinner table is a unifier, all right? Now, of course, there could be drama at the dinner table. I don't know <laughs> if anybody's ever seen Yellowstone, but Beth is a problem at the dinner table, okay? She's never gonna finish a meal. So some families might have characters like that, but what what I'm pointing you to and this is also I address this in the book, being a parent and this is the thing because we point fingers. All those years when I was doing clinical work, the number one reason that people gave, you know, men and women coming in to see me for not achieving the goals that they wanted to achieve was their family. Yeah, so you got this thing is like, "Well, it's just like my kids won't, my my husband won't, my mom won't." You don't, you, know, you don't understand, right? there's pointy fingers at their family. They're the, they're the big obstacles. And the reality is this. You know your family better than anyone. But because we just want them to do the shit we want them to do, we don't have to tell them. Or we, we don't have, want not have to cater things to them, unless it's their birthday or some shit like that. But in reality, you absolutely know what inspires your children to take action and what makes them retract. You know what excites them and you know what de-excites them. Use that to your advantage. Use that as an intentional loving parent and start to put in place strategies to get through to your children and the people that are around you, your your loved ones. My wife, I'm like I'm Pinocchio to her. Like she can, she knows how if she wants to. Sometimes she doesn't want to. Yeah. And that's when we'll have conflicts. But she knows what will get me to be very Influenced, you know what I'm saying, and I know the same thing for her. Sure. And sometimes we just don't feel like we have the emotional reserve to go out of our way. This goes back to even the, you know the love languages, right? The five love languages. And by the way, Gary Chapman's work is in the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook, because those different love languages, basically, we give and receive love differently. But all of us have all of them, you know, right? So maybe, for example. Um, with myself and my wife, you know, maybe my love language is words of affirmation, mm-hmm. right? That really makes me feel like she loves me, mm-hmm. right? For her, it could be acts of, service, acts of service, right? Yep. And so, like, but if I'm just telling her how amazing she is and beautiful, I wrote her this beautiful poetry. It's like, oh, that's cool, <laughs>
1: falling deaf ears,
0: but right? Yeah. You know, but then it's just like, oh, yeah. She, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't see me or love me like. You know, like, but the reality is with those five love languages, food fits into all those things perfectly. All right. So for example, with acts of service, oh my goodness, when my wife had our youngest son and my mother-in-law brought over food, you know, um, she, she, she's from Kenya. So she made like, um, traditional Kenyan food, chapati and dangu and chile, skumawiki wiki. Right, so all these things I didn't know what was, and basically this is just I just said rice and beans and greens and some chapati <laughs> and you know some ground beef or whatever the case might be, right? Yep, so yep. she she brought over food is that, that act of service for her. She's not coming over telling her daughter she loves her. That's not that hasn't been in her her uh, family history. Mm-hmm. Like me doing this for you, I love the. Shit I love you. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, man, it fills my mother in law up so much to to cook for us. To provide that service. And for her, words of affirmation, right? So speaking that back to her just fills that pot, fills it up. And, um, you know, uh, physical touch. Nothing touches us closer than the food that we eat. It's literally we're taking something from the environment, putting it in your body, yeah. and it becomes a part of you. Totally. That's so powerful. Totally. You know? And I can go on and on with those connections, but, you know, I, I, it's interwoven in, in the book because I, I knew this intimately and I saw it in, in clinical practice, but also just in working with all of these experts in their respective fields. It's just like, there's something really special about food because it changes you from the inside out because food isn't just food, it's information. Right, so it's providing certain nutritional inputs that's changing your chemistry. Like you can't it can't help but do that, right? So you're consuming things that, for example, the microbiome is having a huge moment right now and understanding how important the health health of our microbiome is and all the respective genes that these bacteria are carrying. If we go gene for gene, human beings, if we go gene for gene with all the bacteria that we're carrying, 99% of our genes are bacterial genes. They're not, quote, human genes, all right? So how much is that impacting our health? We know today that there's this huge interaction with our bacterial genes, their expression, and our gene expression, Mm -hmm. right? And so, putting all this together, like what are the choices, what foods are we putting in that's interacting with with our microbiome? And we have the opportunity to become more cognizant of what we're feeding our microbiome and the health outcomes that come from that. and you know there's even within that context with the microbiome, and this is really cool, um, your microbiome and this incredible bacteria cascade, they all want to have certain conditions in order to give you optimal health, right? So there's another field parallel to that. And I didn't always going to talk about this. I'm just to say it really quickly. And it's something I've been studying the last couple of years, which is circadian medicine, right? And so how our interaction with the environment, mm-hmm. like I talked about mm-hmm. to start all this out, mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. culture, how often are we actually interacting with our environment? Because we're picking up our cues from the 24 hour solar day. So we're a part of the solar system, news flash. I know it's weird, <laughs> like we're just here on this planet, but we're synced up, all of our cells are, tr- we can get out of sync, but all of our cells are constantly trying to sync up with the 24 hour solar day because that's determining when certain hormones are getting produced, certain neurotransmitters, what's happening with our microbiome. There's actually a changing of the guard even with certain bacteria cascade based on time of day it is. Hmm. And you could throw that off, jumping a bunch of time zones and not getting your body kind of synced up with the new place that you're at. Because your body, we'd never been able to just jump from this place to another place so quickly in human evolution until like the last couple of decades. 50 years. Right? So what are those impacts? And now we know, like we have, science has evolved enough to know, but we also know how to get yourself back in alignment faster, right? And so through food and understanding that, again, food isn't just food, it's information. When you eat that food, it's coming along with certain qualities like, and this brings full circle, like why did I bring up the microbiome? When you eat a food, you're eating that food's microbiome. When you're eating a blueberry, it has its own microbiome. Oh, sure. When you eat an avocado, it has its own microbiome. Lucky Charms doesn't have a fucking microbiome, <laughs> all right. That leprechaun—take that to the bank. The leprechaun is lying to you, all right. It does not have a microbiome. It might have some microbes, all right, but it's very different. And this is what, also, the message pushing forward in in the East Smarter Family Cookbook is. According to the British Medical Journal, this is one of our most prestigious medical journals. The average American adult is eating sixty percent of their diet is now ultra processed foods. That's been making some, some headway recently with a lot of people realizing this. Yeah. But what they don't know, and Eat Smarter Family Cookbook is the first book published that has this new data, because when I wrote the book, it had just been published. This was published in JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association. They looked at the food intake of our children, aged two to 19, children and adolescents, attracted for 20 years. In 1999, the average American child was eating 61% of their diet was ultra-processed foods. Fast forward to 2018. I'm scared. 67% of mm. our children, our average child's diet here in the United States is ultra-processed foods. What are we doing to our kids? And just so everybody's clear, ultra-processed food is, again, Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms, leprechaun. Right? So it's, it was corn at some point, some of the ingredients, but it's so denatured the the, the the additives, the, the preservatives, the mm-hmm. processing, the high heat, taking the corn also, not just the substrate for building a cereal complex, but the sugar, right? The corn syrup. It's so denatured that if you presented Lucky Charms to that hunter-gatherer tribe, they have no clue, no idea whatsoever. They couldn't possibly know where it came from. Mm-hmm. Most people, no, we don't know don't where it know. comes from, Yeah, we don't right? even know. And so- Versus humans have been processing food for thousands of years. Like, this is what has helped us to develop this highly evolved brain that we have. And because we could take something like tomatoes and, you know, process it, minimally processing, adding some spices, some other different foods, and making something like a pasta sauce, or taking olives and pressing them. And olives, by the way, this food is so historical. It's in many different, like, ancient, text, mm-hmm. you know, but we could take that olive, cold press it, stone press, and we have olive oil, right? That's minimally processed. And that olive oil, and I shared this study in the book as well, because we, I talk about the cultural contagions that we need to protect our children from, that protect ourselves from as well. One of them being these abhorrent amounts of, quote, vegetable oils, canola oil and the like, mm-hmm. that I started using Back when I was trying to get myself healthy because it said vegetable. But it's not broccoli oil or asparagus oil. These are highly processed. If you see the if you see how canola oil is made, I promise you'll never never consume it again. It has to be, it's treated with high heat processing, all these different bleaching agents, deodorizers. And why is it deodorized? Because it smells terrible, by the way. And it's so denatured, the fat complex, the polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFAs, they're so damaged that you're just drinking pure reactive oxygen species, just pure oxidation, pure aging, all right? And I'm not just saying this because I provide the data, study after study, there's even a study in the book that's published in the journal Inhalation Toxicology that found that just smelling vegetable oil while cooking can damage your DNA. Real talk, again, People don't know this stuff, but once they become aware, again, we can create a shift in our culture. So protecting against cultural contagions like that stuff, extra virgin olive oil, on the other hand, researchers at Auburn University found that this is one of the few foods ever discovered that can repair the blood-brain barrier and reduce inflammation in the brain. And why would I want to reduce inflammation in my brain? Is that a problem? Well, researchers at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine found that as we're getting fatter when we're accumulating more body fat, mm-hmm. it's creating more inflammation in our brains. And they found that inflammation in our brain creates more body fat and insulin resistance. So it becomes this vicious circle. So a cycle, yeah. In steps olive oil that can actually do something about it, right? So of course we wanna remove the cause, but sometimes you get caught in that vicious circle. What are some things that I can add into the mix, right? So there's over 40 specific foods that I identify and provide a wealth of different studies, but in a fun way. And then we talk about let's cook with them. Let's take these amazing foods and make some delicious food, uh, meals with them, right? So if I talk about the benefits of, some, of long utilized food like sweet potatoes, mm-hmm. let's make pancakes with them, all right? So it's just like tuning into the joy of eating, the joy of food experiences, making great wholesome recipes having fun together, creating a new kitchen culture, and just, again, creating a new culture of health overall. Dude, man, freaking love it. Got a quick break coming up, we'll be right back. Neuroplasticity, the ability of the human brain to grow and adapt and evolve, and really to unlock our superhuman capacity, is driven by our experiences, our practices, our activities, but also our nutrition. Fascinating new research published in the journal Neuron found that magnesium, this key electrolyte, is able to restore critical brain plasticity and improve overall cognitive function. Again, neuroplasticity is the ability of our brain to change and adapt. Now, this is one key electrolyte, but it works in tandem with other electrolytes like sodium. Sodium is critical for maintaining proper hydration of the human brain. If you didn't know this, the human brain is primarily made of water. We're talking somewhere in the ballpark of 75 numbers of 80% water. It's so important because just a small decrease in our body's optimal hydration level, What's noted in the data, just a 2% decrease in our baseline hydration level can lead to dramatic cognitive decline, helping to sustain and maintain proper hydration levels in the brain Sodium is critical in that. And also, researchers at McGill University found that sodium functions as a, quote, off-on switch for specific neurotransmitters that support our cognitive function and protect our brains from numerous degenerative diseases. Right now, the number one electrolyte company in the world is delivering a gift for new and returning customers. With each purchase of Element, that's L-M-N-T, the number one electrolyte in the market. No binders, no fillers, no artificial ingredients, no crazy sugar and sweeteners. My friend's son was just over at our house and my son, my oldest son, Jordan, was training them, taking his teammates through some workouts. And we opened the freezer and there's a bottle of Gatorade. There's a bottle of Gatorade in our freezer. My wife's like, whose is this? Cause we know we don't roll like that. We don't mess with the gators, all right? We don't mess with the Gatorade. And we knew who it was, it was one of his friends. And he came in and like, well, at least this is the no sugar kind. And then I go through some of the ingredients with him and I find those curveballs of like, here's where they're sneaking in these artificial ingredients and things that the human body has no association with. But you know, it's he's taking a step in the right direction by, by being in our environment. So you know what I did? I put the element in his hand. All right, make sure that he's got the good stuff, the very best stuff. And also this is backed by peer-reviewed data and a huge body of evidence. And we're talking about the folks at Element, that's LMNT. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And you're going to get a special gift pack with every purchase, whether you're a new or previous customer or Element. So again, this is a brand new, Opportunity free gift pack with every purchase over at element. Go to drinklmnt.com forward slash model. And now back to the show.
1: In this short period of time, I mean, just a couple takeaways, Sean, from you. I'm going to change the way I eat with my wife, my family, like turning off the TV, setting on my calendar. I do everything by my calendar, but you're right. Like, even for me, it's like the last thing that I plan. So I got, I got a ton of value from that and I know our audience did too. So I appreciate that. All right, my friend, you've been so gracious. Uh, We got a little bit more time for the bonus round and I think I was right. We're going to have to have you back on to digest sleep smarter at some point if you're up for it, because that's a lot of awesome content too. But uh, from our bonus round, I mean, you've talked about your passion today, but if I can get hyper-focused, what would you say, Sean, is your pack passion and why, and
0: specifically what you, what do you want your legacy to be? This is, this is it right now. Um, you know, being somebody who's worked in the field of health and wellness for for as, as long as I have, my bridge into it, what changed me personally was food. And so I made food everything, right? So that was for me, the, the solution for everybody. I really felt it was a cause and cure, but it's so much bigger, we know that today. And that was what drove me to write Sleep Smarter. Like I didn't plan on being this like kind of global sleep expert or us, uh, subject matter expert with sleep, but that put me in a different stratosphere. But for me and my passion and what I'm pushing forward, I feel that, and this is for everybody, if you're curious about what your purpose is, it's probably something that comes natural to you, that you have a natural curiosity about, that it might not be as easily accessible to other people, or it might Other people might not have curiosity about that thing, okay? So what comes easy to you that's difficult for other people? I think about that. For me, my greatest gift and the thing that is just so natural to me is my family. The love that we have, the connection that we have. The the We don't even, I I don't like using these labels because it just, it's what is the culture that we have, that we've developed despite our circumstances, right? And to see that transitioning over to where my son is impacting the lives of so many other people now, right? It's so powerful, man, it's so freaking powerful. So for me, that's what my passion is, is my family. And unfortunately, so many of us, we hear these stories. We work so hard to provide for our families and then we miss out on our families and I'm here to tell you that it's a both and world. It's just a shift in our priorities. It's just a shift in getting clear and honest. Like, is your family really the most important thing? I can act like it. And so by exercising that muscle, and of course this has not been easy, by the way, but figuring some things out along the way and being able to put that into a shareable resource now. And now what's different about this right here? It's not just me sleep smart sleep smarter was just me you know out here on cnn and the mm-hmm. dr Oz show and fox and all these different things mm-hmm. and traveling all over the place eat smarter same thing with this is my family everywhere i go they go they're the model they're the representation they're demonstrating what's possible and so you know this is a truly a family mission you know and um yeah so that's what it is for me love that man who is your biggest hero and then who's your biggest enemy Mm. easy my biggest hero is my mother-in-law she's the person who really flipped this switch in my mind i was working at the university gym that's where i met my wife you know and i wasn't like i didn't i was just in my bag trying to help people and the whole thing and i just saw her coming in you know, kind of dedicated, whatever. She dropped her headphones one day, picked it up, We started talking, that kind of thing. But I didn't know this until like literally maybe three or four years ago, that she had her eyes on me. All right. So she was like, oh. she told her friend, like, I want him to train me. She she, she dropped her headphones then, huh? Uh, right. And it, listen, it was the most awkward machine, you know, that adductor machine, uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know, where the leg, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's just like, so I was very like, I tried to do it in a cool way, you know. Um. But yeah, but, you know, meeting her... Getting the package deal and having my mother-in-law and seeing the transformation that she created in her own life and how she was impacted. She's an occupational therapist, and she really leveraged because she see that saw that people in her in her field, she's got all these great therapists who want to help people, but a lot of times they're not getting well. And so she started to implement pieces of nutrition and meditation and all these other tools that, again, for me, I thought was super super weird Mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was, like I said, just growing up in in the kind of health conditions that I had, once I didn't have like chronic asthma, I still had seasonal hay fever that would hospitalize me pretty much every year. I couldn't breathe at night. Right? And this was just like, we'll just say 2005. All right? And um, out, outwardly, very healthy, but I was still including some things that were causing this kind of histamine reaction, mm-hmm. making me hypersensitive to the world around me, that I should not be allergic to the world, sure. right? Yeah. And so I went over to see my wife, my then then girlfriend. She took me to the ER, and I got my script, my my prescription, and I, we stopped by my my mom-in-law's house, and she told me, you know, my daughter tells me that you have this... Uh, hay fever or you have these allergies and you can't breathe. I was like, yeah, you know, it's the weather, you know, this happens every year. She was like, she just looked me in my eye. She's like, is the problem out there or is the problem in you? Bro, that like, it baked my noodle, man. Like I couldn't, I was just like, oh my God, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, And so that sent me down a path. And again, I'd already made so many great improvements and helped a lot of people, but that made me start to reassess the environment, my internal terrain, and looking at what is right for me right now versus other people, because all of us are unique. And that's the future of medicine is personalized nutrition, right? Because a certain food, even for you right now, might really be something you can thrive with, but it might be detrimental later. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have to have the tools to be able to assess like, no, this doesn't feel right right now. Let me do this instead. But a lot of times we get caught in diet dogma. And it's just like a certain framework and we stick to it even if we suffer. And that that framework can be leaving out things that can transform your life. And so for me, it's my mother in law, definitely my my uh, greatest hero. She also taught me meditation as well, which if all the stuff that we talked about, that's probably changed my life more than anything um my greatest enemy greatest enemy <laughs> i don't know if i want to open this can of worms but i mean right now it's um you know the pharmaceutical industry the pharmaceutical model and you know uh the processed food industry you know um they're both profiting from our sickness totally and the reason I didn't want to, to open this up is because it, it, for me, it still isn't necessarily an enemy in, this, in the traditional sense, because over the last couple of years, I've shared a lot of the data regarding um, the crimes committed by drug companies. You know, um, For example, Pfizer was convicted of the largest healthcare fraud settlement in the history of the Department of Justice. We're talking about billions. They're the first outside of like, if we're talking about RICO charges, you know, for racketeering mm-hmm. and like organized crime, mm-hmm. they're convicted of RICO charges, all right? Organized fucking crime. And just like, but oh, uh, whatever. Yeah. And it's not to say again that they can't do good or create products that can be helpful in our society, but we need to know the system that we're dealing with that's profiting and doing unethical practices that are largely hurting so many people. And so, with that being said, if I would share some of that data, 95% of people like, you know, just taking the data, like, I didn't know this, thank you so much, this is a huge problem, that kind of stuff. But then every now and then it'd be somebody that listens to my show that works at Pfizer. It's just like, Sean, I hate when you share this stuff. You know, I know you're right, but you know, it's like these are this is where because they they went there to help. Sure. They went to work at Johnson & Johnson. This happened multiple times. Like I have people who work at Johnson & Johnson that listen to the show or follow me, or whatever. They're just like, Sean, this breaks my heart or Monsanto or whatever it is. It's just like, I'm just sharing the data because they're good people in all of these organizations, really good people. Matter of fact, I would, I would venture to say the majority of the people are good people. It's just their perception, the culture that they were exposed to has them, unfortunately, working in an overall situation where the outcomes are often detrimental when they're trying to help and the, the good that they are doing is often over, overshadowed when we're talking about real world data by the damage that they're doing and they don't know any better, you know? And so that would be, that if, if I was to say my biggest enemy, but it's more like a friend of me. I like that, man.
1: <laughs> um, Last few here, you are in the business of giving incredible fitness, health advice in general. What's one of the best piece of advice you've ever seen, Sean, why?
0: (laughs) The best advice that's just jumping to mind, and I'm just thinking recently, would be who's funding the study? Asking who's funding the study? And this is from my friend, John Abramson, Dr. John Abramson. Uh, He works in healthcare policy at Harvard, and he's been involved in a lot of pharmaceutical um, litigation. Not because he wanted to or was a mission in his life. He was just brought in as an expert um, on a case, and it just kind of fell into it. And he got to see all the, um, you know, the emails and all the things that people don't see. And he has to sign an NDA and all the things. But he's seen where the bodies are buried, kind of thing. And it's just like he knows that most of our university funding today, which is where most of our data is coming from, is largely funded and controlled by drug companies. Like, you're just not gonna get a grant if this is taken away from our bottom line, you know, this particular supplement or whatever, or if you're painting our, our primary product, right? That's generating trillions. It's a trillion dollar industry. Um, so unfortunately we have this kind of twisted system right now. And so even when we're, I've shared a tremendous amount of studies today One of the reasons that you can rely on the efficacy of what I'm talking about is I do something that a lot of people don't want to do, which is I look at the studies that disprove what I believe. It takes courage to go and proactively find something that is framed in a valid way that disproves what you believe, because the truth is usually somewhere in the middle, right? And so what I do is, after looking at a subject matter, I share what what does the majority of data say, because we could probably rely on that. But even with that, it's still gonna be case sensitive. It's gonna be situation dependent, it's gonna be person sensitive. That's the problem that we have as well, is that now it's just this global, one size fits all kind of framework. When it comes to diet and when it comes to drugs, you know, and the list goes on and on. And we are far from uniform. We're very, we're very unique. You know, Each of us has a unique metabolic fingerprint, a unique microbiome fingerprint that can be dramatically different from even with identical twins. Mm. You know, One of the largest studies done, like looking at identif- identical twins and their microbiome changes, like we can have kids that are in the same environment, but if one of the twins, again, identical twins, has a higher ratio of bacteria class called firmicutes versus another bacteria category, they're going to... Gain more weight than their twin. Same environment, same diet. All right. So I can go on and on with those kind of examples, but, you know, that would be best advice recently. You know, I mean, this is maybe, you know, this is some years ago, mm-hmm. but that's something I've paid more attention to. is like, who's funding the study? Yep. What does the majority of data say? Let me also always counterbalance with something that disproves what I believe. Good on you man, it's sage advice.
1: So, Sean, what would your parting piece of wisdom be? Our audience here, they're inspired. I'm inspired. I'm a fitness pro. I learned a lot right now. And uh, I would imagine our audience did as well. And not only for themselves, but also, too, to be changing in their communities to affect their culture. What would you say,
0: Sean, from your lens would be a parting piece of advice from this episode today? As I said earlier, we've got to really get it through through our skulls that we can't change people. We can't. Change is an inside job. We can inspire, we can create conditions, but ultimately real sustainable change is gonna come from within. It's gonna come from an internal revelation. And so the very best thing that you can do is be as healthy, as fit, as resilient, as creative, as compassionate, as as patient as you can possibly be. Train yourself, work on your own mind and body so you can be an example. Because I promise you, people learn a lot more from who you are than what you say, right? So that's really the, the message and, the, and the, another mandate here. I mentioned three days a week with your family, family meals. And friends are also included, by the way. If you're like, well, you know, I don't, I'm not living with my family right now. Friends are included as well. That piece and also focus on you first. It's said a lot, but we don't do it. Invest in yourself every day. Invest in your body, your mind, train your, your mind. Especially now, you need to train that mental fitness every single day so that you can better influence, so that you can better create conditions for other people to change.
1: Might drop my dude. All right, well, I got one last uh, question, which is my final one. And the title of this podcast is The Fitness CEO Podcast. Uh, Sean, for you, what does it mean to be a CEO?
0: This all ties together. In a a beautiful sequence, which is, you know, being the example, leading by example, being the model. You know, again, people will listen to what you do far more than what you say. Right. And we're, we're all intelligent, you know, in some capacity. And so being able to also see the gifts in other people. Right. I talked about this in relationship to parents like, you know, your family, you know, them utilize that you know, help to bring the best out of everybody. That's gonna require, again, you working on yourself and having the patience, having the bandwidth, having the, the capacity, especially when stress is around to encourage, to support the people that you care about in the context of being a CEO. You're a CEO of your family. You're the CEO of your body, you know? And so that's what it would be for me, you know, just leading by example. Look at that, my dude.
1: All right, before we wrap today, where can our audience find you in the case they don't uh, follow
0: already? Awesome. Well, where they're listening to this amazing podcast, they can find my show as well. It's called The Model Health Show. The Model Health Show. And my home online is themodelhealthshow.com. Um, if you want to connect with me on Instagram, I'm at Sean Model on Instagram, S-H-A-W-N Model. And um, that's probably, you know, where a lot of the the hangout and content sharing is as well and most importantly though go into eatsmartercookbook.com and get your copy of the Eat Smarter Family Cookbook be a part of this mission and movement get your free ticket to the Family Health and Fitness Summit and also we're doing a 25k health and fitness giveaway too so you get entered into that so many great things there Um, but again just invest in yourself invest in your family and we can change this shit yes sir well, I do. before we wrap today, I just want to take a second
1: to acknowledge you, uh, not only for you coming out here today, which is awesome, been a long time coming, so finally excited to connect in the studio, but for your heart, dude, your knowledge, your passion, and your soul, uh, but most importantly, and uh, I'll never forget this about you, man, my, like I said earlier, my wife's a bit, been a big fan for quite some time, and we reconnected at Bedros' house And uh, like Christmas party last December. And uh, I was excited to reconnect with you and chit chat. And I was able to introduce my wife. And I just generally thought you'd chat with her for a few minutes. You sat and talked with her for like 45 minutes. And she went home that like the only thing she could talk about was how awesome experience and how a genuine salt of the earth of a dude that you are. And for that, if that doesn't say anything about you, I don't know what else will. So with all that, my friend, I just want to thank you again and appreciate you on the show.
0: Thank you, man. It's my honor. Thank you thank you so very much for tuning into this episode of the model health show if you got a lot of value out of this i highly encourage you to share this out with somebody that you care about of course you could share this on social media you could send this directly from the podcast app that you're listening on and if you're listening to the audio version of this show you can pop over to youtube you can hang out with us in the studio and also we love to throw some of the visuals up on screen so some of the studies that we go through and things like that and just also just be in the room with us get the vibe and enjoy The Model Health Show in that format as well. And make sure to subscribe to the Model Health Show on YouTube because we're doing exclusive content there that you won't get anywhere else. So definitely subscribe to the YouTube channel. And listen, we've got some epic masterclasses and world class guests coming your way very, very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon.